When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 120. We're recording on Thursday, August 20th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Welcome back. Thank you. You were you, you, you were on vacation last week, or you were traveling for work? I can't remember. I was, Bob was traveling for oh, work. Oh, right, yes. Um, he went for a conference training thing in uh, Marina del Rey, and so I I tagged along. Normally, these are in like places that you don't want to go in mm. the middle of the summer, and uh, Los Angeles sounded appealing. So, I went and read by the pool, and nice. uh, I got embarrassingly sunburned thanks to The Invaders by Carolina uh, <laughs> This happens to me like once a year. I get so absorbed in what I'm reading that I forget to do the I'm a ginger and I need to reapply my sunscreen mm. uh, thing. So The Invaders is my sunburn worthy book from from this summer. But it was a nice trip. It was short. Uh, it was lovely. It was 20 degrees cooler there oh, than it is in nice. Richmond. <laughs> it's like... Uh... It's like uh, 10,000% humidity in New York this week, uh-huh. and I sweat and dry off like nine times, so I end up like a salt-crusted um, disaster. I like, I'm, like a, I'm like a tugboat. I'm just like disgusting <laughs> and salty and huffing and puffing all over this the place. This is like a children's book that doesn't need to no, exist. No, it, it really doesn't. Jeff, uh, the sweaty tugboat. Well, let's move on from my perspirational uh, challenges here. Uh, Please. Well, a little bit of news. A month, well, really a month from when we're recording in late September, we're doing a new thing. You might have done, heard of the Book Riot Read Harder Challenge before where um, Rachel Manuel, who's one of our contributors, came up with a reading challenge for 2015. You know, that's really asking people to read harder, meaning more diversely, more openly, more, uh, I guess, uh, uh, it's basically dangerously, expand your horizons. Or, yeah, yeah. expand your horizons thing. Um, and we've been thinking for a while about how to do some sort of real life meetups. And so we've rolled the read harder idea into doing meetups. And it's kind of in any book book group where it's going to be a monthly meetup. Right now, they're in seven cities. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes you can find. So we've got Glasgow over in the UK, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Houston, LA, and Chicago right now. They're going to be the weekend of September 19th and 20th. So check your city for what you're looking for there. Um, come hang out. Each one is hosted by someone affiliated with Book Riot, one of our contributors, staff person, whatever. Um, and you mingle talk about books uh and uh it'll be it should be a good time it, bookstores are hosting bars are hosting depending on the city um so stay tuned and we're, we're looking if you have a city that you're not close to one of those cities and would like to participate in one of these at some point shoot us an email podcast at bookwrite.com and we'll start looking for sort of the next cities that um, we can find a little cluster of people around um i'm going to be moving to portland with my family next month and so portland will be happening in october i haven't found a space for that yet but if you're out in portland um, stay tuned from that but we're really looking forward to it if i'm still in new york i'll be at the september 19th one here at the ace hotel if we have moved i will not um but there's 50 50 chance but it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun i'm really looking forward to it we've been talking about something like this for a long time um so come meet other book riot fans other book loving fans um a book group where you don't have to commit and still get to talk about books with other people for a little bit. It's uh, perfect. It's going to be good. Okay. Let's do it. Oh, we have a sponsor. We, we, got, we, we just got Squares. We so, do. Uh, Squarespace. It, you know, it's the all-in-one platform that makes it easy, fun, and uh, just quick. 
to make mm-hmm. a beautiful professional website that looks great on any kind of device. Uh, you don't have to be a pro. A lot of us have different needs for a website. And we asked for people to send in things they built on Squarespace just to sort of show real world examples of people who are listeners of this show looking for different things. This one is, um, her name is Sharon. And she she wrote in saying, you know, I needed a personal website. And it's, her website is SharonLiteracy.com. And she uses it just kind of as a, as a resume. You know, she can put on a business card. Um, it it's a beautiful, nice big image of her. Has an about me, resources, photos. Has um, her current work situation, a contact, and it's just simple. It looks great. It looks great on a phone. It looks great on a laptop. Has a good URL. Uh, just really simple kind of thing to do for you know really less than a hundred bucks for a year. Uh, if you want to sign up for a year, you can get Squarespace's tools, resources, their 24-7 award-winning live chat and email support. If you've got something you want to sell, e-commerce is built right in. Templates that look good on every single kind of device anyone really can reasonably browse the internet with these days. They're out-of-the-box out of the box templates look good, but also Squarespace makes it really easy to customize your fonts and your colors and the layout of what kind of content you do and don't want. Um, I, I don't mean, I'm going to say this in the best possible way. Sharon's got a really nice looking website here. I'm guessing it also didn't take her that long. Um, knowing what I know about Squarespace's backend, which he's got here. So this is probably something you could do in an hour or two. You can futz, you know, sometimes it's fun to play and try, but you can get something up and cooking, you know, within an hour or so on Squarespace, even, you know, a simple about me page. As you want to add galleries and other kinds of content, you might take a little bit longer to figure out exactly you know, how to put the pages together and everything like that. But with Squarespace, really, you know, it's hard to think of a project these days that anyone would work on for any length of time at all that doesn't need or could use a web presence of some kind. Mm -hmm. And so Squarespace makes it easy to find a quick and easy home that you can, you know, very reasonably uh, host. Uh, You know, you pay a few dollars a month, but you also get a little bit more. In fact, you get a lot more then from the free service. So you go squarespace.com um, to get started. You use off, you got an offer code right at checkout and it gets you 10% off. It's $8 a month. And if you sign up for a full year, you'll get a free domain. So um, I don't know if Sharon's, she, she uh, used that, but if she did, she got sharonliteracy.com for free built in. Don't have, that's the other thing. You have to go through a third party like Hover, or, you know, some other, or GoDaddy, um, which are fine companies, but then you've got to figure out how to host it on that website from a different service. Squarespace, they package it all up. So you get your domain, you they put your website right on it for you. You don't have to know anything about it. It's really excellent. You can also, I just discovered password protect a Squarespace because oh. I'm, I am futzing around with, um, Bob and I are going on a big trip next spring for several weeks and our parents and family members want to follow the trip. And I would like to not advertise to the whole Internet the exact time period that I'm not going to be in my house. Mm. Uh, So I was like, well, I'm not going to Instagram it in real time. Also, my parents don't do Instagram. I'm not going to put this stuff on Facebook. What could we do so that our parents could follow along, you know, and we'll just be posting from where, whenever we have Wi-Fi. So I think we're going to do a password protected Squarespace where uh, we can post photos and write like little short things for mm. primarily our parents, you know, about what we did that day or what tall thing I jumped off of. Um, and they can follow along the trip basically in real time, but it will be private. And I know you had at one point had a private blog that yeah, you we Michelle do. were using with for our for pictures kids, of the yeah. kids. Um, it's not on Squarespace, but um, I think we started that before I even knew what Squarespace was, and now I, I'm pretty sure I would choose Squarespace for it. Um, but anyway, thanks so much to Squarespace for the continued support of the show, squarespace.com. Use uh, offer code RIOT to get 10% off. And uh, if you've got another project, keep coming. If you've done something else on Squarespace. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. Maybe you're doing the Read Harder Challenge and you want to blog your way oh, through it. Oh, that's a very good idea. Um, you know... So let's get to the news. Uh, Simon Schuster's partner with online travel site Hotels.com to give away ebooks to travelers. So this is, I guess, the next instance of this particular kind of, I guess, strategy that some of the publishers are doing to give away location-specific mm-hmm. ebooks. We've done, we had airports before, right? We've seen airports. We've seen trains. Trains. We've seen on planes. On planes, yeah. Um, and I think this is the first. I thought there was maybe oh, a mall or something. Somebody should give away audiobooks to car renters. Well, that's a good idea. 
Oh, I think the Air and Space Museum did the Wright right, Brothers. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right, right, yeah. yeah. I think that was also SNS, um, by the way. Uh, so the customers that book a two-night stay via the travel site and selected U.S. destination will be able to download one of seven titles as a free ebook. These are good titles. They are. They are. Uh, Mr. Mercedes by Stephen King, The Glass Rainbow by James Lee Burke, The White Queen by Philippa Gregory, Crazy Love You by Lisa Unger, I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes, uh, You by Carolyn Kepnes, and The Ascendant by Drew Chapman. And then the, the publisher will update the, the titles periodically. Mm-hmm. Um, the bummer... The super bummer. The turd in the punch bowl that we get with these kinds of things. The most predictable of bummers. (laughs) Is you've got to use their proprietary social reading platform uh, called Glows. Glows? G-L-O-S-E. I don't even know if it's owned by Simon & Schuster or not. I had never heard of Glows until I was reading this piece. This is such a great idea to give books to people that are traveling in hotels and... It's such a terrible mm. idea to require them to read on a specific platform, especially when it's a specific platform that no one has heard of. Like, give away your books and let people read them wherever the heck they want to. It looks from glows.com like this is not owned by Simon & Schuster. Like, this is a it's an e, a tech e-reading startup. They have an angel list page. Mm. Well, that will um, do it. Yeah, that'll tell you. Yeah. And so do we know, like, who's getting money here? Is Hotels.com, or is it just a partnership where, you know, they make it more attractive to book through Hotels.com so that, and I'm trying to figure out which way the money, yeah, yeah, I know we don't know, but I'm I'm asking you if you have a sense of who would be paying whom here. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think that hotel, I don't think that get a free ebook is a compelling enough reason to choose Hotels.com over say like Expedia or Travelocity or whatever, or Kayak if you're a traveler. Um, So I would assume this was Simon and Schuster approaching. But then if you give away the book, how does Simon and Schuster make money? Uh, They, I assume, are hoping to get people to buy more of their books. Maybe Glow's approached Simon and mm. Schuster. Maybe Glows has been shopping this to a bunch of publishers. I guess I'm trying to figure out who it's good for. I guess who gets the most benefit? Uh, mm. Well. I mean, because giving away an ebook, like you could give away an ebook anywhere. Yeah. Like why, wonder, why limit it to hotel? Yeah. I wonder if it's, I mean, that makes for a catchy headline, right? Like you get free eBooks yeah. when you come, when you stay at a hotel and you book through this website. I'm going to guess somebody at Glows knows somebody at Hotels.com mm. and they were like, let's do a thing with books and travel. And they shopped it around to publishers. And maybe they're doing the thing on the back end, like what Oyster and Scribd do, where the platform pays the publisher for every book they give for the for every book that is read. Like, uh, it could be. Um, yeah. So maybe there's like no real like promotional advertising marketing deal. It's just sort of triangulated back scratching between Glows and Hotels.com mm-hmm. and um, SNS. Because it doesn't seem to me, again, I don't know how these things work. I'm not a professional book marketer. It doesn't seem to me like if I downloaded uh, Mr. Mercedes by Stephen King and read it while I was staying at the Doubletree or whatever, and I don't know if that's one of the participating ones or not, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my disclaimer asterisk voice. I don't know if you heard <laughs> that right there. Yeah, that was very fast. Yeah. Um, am I get, does that move any units? <laughs> I, 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 my feeling is no, but I... Uh, yeah. Because people don't know the publisher. Like, I guess maybe they'll recommend that book mm-hmm. to somebody else and they'll go buy it, yeah, but that I seems very odd. Yeah, there's like halo effect possibilities there, I guess, where if you read Mr. Mercedes because it was free while you stayed at the Double Tree, and then you like go on your Goodreads account or you go on Amazon and you review it, then you might be giving them a free recommendation. And uh, this is just a way of limiting the number of free yeah. titles you give away. This, it just seems uh, odd. I mean, it, you, you're probably right. It just seems like a very weird way to constrain it. Yeah, all of these experiments always begin with a limited number of titles, which I understand from the publisher's side. Like, be conservative, choose a handful of titles, see how it goes before you roll everything else out. But at the same time, the smaller your sample no. set is, the less representative your results can be. And that's, I feel like that's my constant refrain. Like if I could have a verbal text expander for experiments like this, it would be like, please do these with 
a good platform that people already know about and access regularly because mm-hmm. who wants to download a new app in order to read a free ebook like that's just a pain no <laughs> and, yeah just nobody no. nobody wants a dozen proprietary e-reading apps no one does and and like do it with a bunch of titles so you really get a sense of what are people interested in? How many of the people who got this, like, and offer it to a ton of people? Like, mm-hmm. how many of the hotels are participating? Is it like a dozen hotels or is it a thousand hotels? Like, offer it to a bunch of people, pay attention to how many of them who get the offer opt into the thing, then pay attention to what they read and learn some stuff. And for the love of God, someone please publish results of these things. Like, yeah, I, again, I'm not in the business of what any of these people do except to orthogonally. So, I- it's hard for me to know. And maybe they know if I give away 2000 copies of Mr. Mercedes, that means in this particular place, we'll get, we'll actually get 2000 additional sales somewhere else. So maybe that's fine. I could see doing it for like, as a promotional thing for one title, or maybe they're thinking of there. Now we just talked about those titles Mm -hmm. and people see them in their hotels.com registry. And there's a list. Maybe if they never even download them there, they think they might buy them somewhere else or sure. they're looking for a book next time. So they could be just getting these particular titles into your in front of your eyeballs. Yeah, uh, and then we did see earlier this year, maybe it was last year, um, it was either Fandango or Movies.com. One of the online yeah. movie ticket places was doing a thing where if you bought a ticket, you got a free uh, copy of an ebook. And uh, maybe it was Gone Girl. Um, I think it might have been Insurgent, but I could be wrong mm, about that. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, that that certainly seems interesting. I'm so glad that these experiments are happening. I just want them to happen on platforms people are going to read on. <laughs> like, yeah. On actual give like give the experiment a chance of being a success. And I just wish I, it would be so great if one of the publishers doing these would share the results later because we're talking about it as it happens. You know, we talk about this publisher is putting ebooks on trains or on a plane or the Wright Brothers thing with the Air and Space Museum. Mm-hmm. But like what happened I with that? Know. Was it worth doing? What did we learn from it? What could be done better? Like what should happen next? Um, I have, Jeff, I have all these questions. Yeah, well, SN, this isn't SNS, SNS's first rodeo with this particular model of like the location specific mm-hmm. giveaway. So presumably you could infer, I guess, reasonably that it wasn't a complete disaster, <laughs> at least. Uh, it, it's hard to say. But, you know, this is something that's happening. It's kind of it's kind of weird to play, like, bingo with what you can get where. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little frustrating. Um, anyway, speaking of uh, constraining uh, book access, um, <laughs> this is a story. It, this is a weird story. So, I guess Venice in Italy has a new mayor, uh, Luigi uh, Brugnaro, mm-hmm. um, and... Part of his platform, I guess, was, you know, cleaning up schools and making schools in Venice more, I, I guess, clean, blah, blah, blah. Quote, unquote, um, family quote, unquote, friendly. family friendly. And so he, as after the election, he, um, God, I can't believe this, banned 49 LGBT-themed children's books from the city schools. How does a mayor have enough power to... Do, I, you know, I, don't know, I consider I don't myself an educated man, but the public education structure of Venice, of Italy. Italy is beyond me. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, I guess he does. And then the this this raised a lot of people's eyebrows and Including, a lot of people's ire. Yes. And Elton John, I think Elton John posting about it is how it came to the attention yes. of the person, Michael Schaub, who wrote about it for the L.A. Times. Right. Um, and so 263 other Italian authors signed a letter to the mayor demanding that their books be banned as well. Um, part of the author's statement said, we don't want to stay in a city where the books of others are banned. Hmm. Um, the mayor said it wasn't his goal to discriminate, uh, but I have to think about the majority of families where there is a mother and a father. Oh, this is just... This is the worst. The full sentence is he tells an Italian newspaper... Uh, at home, parents can be called dad one and dad two, but I have to think about the majority of families where there is a mother and a father. This guy's <sighs> the turd in the punch bowl. Yeah. I, and Elton John, I guess, has an apartment mm-hmm. around Venice. So this this mm-hmm. is why he got involved. Um, and he posted about it on Instagram and that sort of took it off from there. So, I mean, one, um, I think it's this is something we talk about the U.S. because that's where we are. We get most of our book news. We focus on the U.S., and so we've had some readers say, boy, I can't believe this sort of stuff goes on in the U.S., blah, blah, blah. 
I think it's important to have a little bit more of a global perspective too, just to see what else goes on in different parts of the world. It's not something I'm particularly good about, so I'm trying to pay attention a little bit more. So this is a story where, boy, if this happened in the U.S., like a mayor banning all LBGTQ books, like it's one thing, yeah. like I guess we like our book banning to be a little more bottom up, like a parent has to complain. Well, I don't think a mayor could. Well, I'm just saying even if for some reason they could. Okay, like, and then a, they did. A politician banning a book for yeah. us feels way different. Oh, yes. Than a, yeah. the parent pitching a fit. And it getting pulled and everyone having to eat crow about it later mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, actually, sorry, we didn't read the book, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, it's just interesting right. that the contours of how it happens in some other cities. And I, I don't particularly know. I have no idea right. and about the politics of Italy and how they deal with this sort of political progressive stuff. Yeah, but this is interesting to see. It is really interesting. And that this could be like you can't really I can't really imagine somebody. Become, and it's probably because politicians don't have the power to mm-hmm. do it here. But like running on a platform of if you elect me, I'll pull all the gay themed children's books out of city schools. Like we certainly have politicians that if they could execute that promise would make the promise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it is an interesting thought experiment to consider what would happen if somebody ran on that platform. Also this, it sh- it seems to shake out differently in Italy. I've seen examples in here in the U S of authors occasionally saying that like, there's controversial stuff in their books and their books have never been banned and they wish their book would be banned because you get so much publicity from it. And authors who have had their books banned typically respond to that and say, no, no, like we don't want to treat banning as a, like banning is not a publicity Mm -hmm. opportunity. Don't encourage it. Don't ask for it or wish for it. This has real fallout for how we think about the importance of books and the open exchange of ideas. And um, to see these authors, I'm I'm interested in them asking to be banned rather than like, we called all of the schools and asked to have our books taken off the shelves. Um, oh, right. I think that's what they, yeah, I think that's what they meant. Okay. Um, wow. But I it mean, is, it's, it's crazy. A mayor, like, yeah, it's wild. I mean, inc- the books included um, And Tango Makes Three, which is a book I have heard about, which mm-hmm. is the true story of two male penguins at the New York City Central yeah. Park Zoo who raised a chick together. I mean, I guess none of it's all right, but there's something like oh, going so far as to like non like calling nonfiction, essentially. That, yeah, the And Tango Makes Three is pretty consistently at the top of the list of challenged books here in the yeah. U.S. as well. Like it is a book about two penguins. I guess maybe that it's most challenged because it's the least sort of artistic like it's a true story like this is like something happening in nature among like non-people and the whole nature right, versus nurture thing right, people yeah, do about being gay it's like i think it feels very threatening yeah. to people on that side of the argument that this book seems to be saying there is such a thing as gay penguins and if penguins can be gay by nature then people could be gay by nature too it's not and, just some choice they right, make because right. of whatever reasons blah 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 yeah I, that makes sense that it's even <laughs> the the less controvertible it is the more threatening it is, I guess. Yeah, it makes I would some like sort of sense. I would like to know uh, what the makeup of families actually looks like in Venice. How no, many I households have, no have a mother and a father living in them? How many are single parent or divorced households? And like, really, how accurate is this guy's estimate of what the families in his area look like as he's drawing sweeping generalizations uh, about them? Boy. Yeah, I don't know. It's That's a wild story, man. I mean, <laughs> just so many... It, it, it's just... Things get challenged all over the world, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you live... If you live, a, a, if you live a, somewhere else that's not the U.S., and you hear of a story like this about um, a book banning or censorship in schools or public libraries or universities... In your country or some other country that isn't the U.S., um, please do send a link to me and Rebecca at podcast at bookriot.com. Um, I think I think it's worth having a, a wider sense on this, especially on all the mm-hmm. kinds of stories we talk about, for sure. But there's only a few things we can have a global perspective on reasonably. And this is one I think we maybe want to care about a little bit more. Speaking of yes, global perspectives. Oh, man, I was going to oh, do I'm that Oh, I'm so segue. sorry. It was, it was just sitting there. I'm, I'm sorry. Would you like to do it? <laughs> well, speaking of global perspectives... <laughs> If you live in Romania and um, you're living 10 weeks ago, then you could have ridden the, the bus. <laughs> I just realized, I just looking at this story, that it's, it's, so, uh, uh, that it's the promote, well, whatever they're doing. But anyway. I the, don't know. Maybe you have a TARDIS. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe. If you do, riding the bus for free doesn't seem like maybe it's that attractive. But anyway, um, uh, a woman, it, sorry, that's not correct. I don't know the gender of this person. I read it thinking it might, as a woman because there's a huge Instagram picture of a woman. I think it's um, a man. The piece is by Victor uh, Miran. Yeah. And it's written about his idea. So anyway, um, he proposed to the mayor of his little town in Romania, and I'm not going to try to say the name of it because it is really tough, um, but I'll spell it. Um, C-L-U-J-N-A-P-O-C-A, link in the show notes if you want to find specifically, uh, proposed to the mayor that the city not charge passengers who read books. He went, he did, he went through the bureaucracy for a year. A year? A year worth of bureaucracy, and he got for the city of, um, that I can't say, uh, three days of free travel if you read a book on the bus. So from June 4th to 7th of this year, um, Romanians in this city got to ride for free. And I guess there was a, uh, you know, people were Instagramming and Facebook all about it. And on this image, you can see people taking pictures of each other reading. And they're pretty amazing pictures, like of the whole, like people waiting yeah, in line pretty, for the bus. They're all it's reading It's pretty books. cool. There's this image I come across a lot when I'm searching for um, stock photos to use for things on the site of uh, a train car, a New York City train car full of people in the 50s who are all holding up newspapers. Mm. Like every last one is reading a newspaper. And this is a cool update, uh, sort of replication of that idea. It's, it's so, this cool three but, days uh, this person is like the leslie nope of this small town i was thinking the same thing in romania a year's worth of red tape and bureaucracy no. to get people three days of free bus riding in the name of promoting books and reading mm -hmm. uh, they apparently this town is pretty literary they also do a thing on uh, world book day on april 23rd where they have where people who have a book with them can visit the botan the local botanical garden for free hmm. um and they have a they do a campaign that they call book face where people who have a book in their Facebook profile picture receive discounts in all sorts of places in in the little town from wow. bookstores to hair salons and even dental practices so in like, romania really, this is cool. Go Romania. I want to do this in Richmond. Like, you know, if you walk into the local bar and you've got a book in your Facebook profile, mm. you get a shot of bourbon on Book Riot. That's pretty cool. I, I like that. Um, so the link's in the show notes, too. I wonder what else What else could you, like, if someone was, I guess, um, maybe if you're going to the public pool and you brought a book, you could get in for free. I'm yeah. just trying to think of what other public services the, you could do. Uh, one of the great donut shops here does a lot of pr social media based promotion where they'll, they put out the idea on Twitter of like, if you come into Sugar Shack today and you tell us about your favorite fairy tale, oh. you'll get a donut for free. Or you have to cut, like you have to, you have to follow them on social to get whatever the prompt is. And then you have to go into the store and do the prompt to get your free hmm. donut. But you could build books into that. As yeah, well. maybe like you could do book drives, like come in and donate a book and mm -hmm. get a free donut. And tell we'll us about what you're reading, get a free donut. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. especially like this for kids. It would be cool to build this into places that people take their kids. If your kid can tell what they're reading, like if Ames could talk to people about the dinosaur book mm. that he's reading <laughs> at well, the moment. I don't think I linked to it this week, but it's related to this story we did about the little free libraries and barbershops. I think it was somebody in Detroit. Uh, I'll try to find the link and put it in the show notes, but the um, barber was giving free haircuts to kids if they read him a children's book while getting their haircut. Oh, that's cool. So that's a similar kind of idea uh, as well. Um, uh, you know, I will frequent local. all of your local establishments if you will give me things for talking to you about books. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, like if you went into a, you know, if I had ran a local business and if someone came in and took a picture of them in my store with a book. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd give them a discount. That sounds pretty cool for like, you yeah. know, a week or a weekend or something like that. Um, well, okay, speaking we of hyper local uh, book retailing, <laughs> boy, we are just like butter. <laughs> you found this story. So I did. you this tell is me about this story. So um, Longmont, Colorado, small, smallish town. There is a Colorado authors only bookstore opening there. It's called Local Editions, which is a cute name for a local it bookstore. The owner is Ron Veristek. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. He just recently published his first book and decided to open the Colorado-centric bookstore because he found it difficult to find a shop that continually showcased 
Colorado authors. He says, Colorado people are really good at supporting Colorado things. So what we have is nothing but Colorado authors in here. And a lot of the books are signed by the authors. The books are sold for full price. He will keep 30% of the profits and give the authors the remaining 70%, which is interesting because most bookstores only give 50% um, Mm. if you're doing like consignment with self-published authors. That's it's, true. Good point. The store is going to feature a variety of books from poetry to romance and young authors can showcase their work. It will also sell coffee or tea for a dollar, which I know is a thing that you care about deeply, being able to get your coffee at your bookstore. You know, I don't know how many soapboxes I have to buy, but <laughs> if you have a bookstore and you're not selling coffee, I, I don't understand. I really do. And I don't mean... You don't have to do cappuccino. You don't have to do the whole flat white, you know, do the Mona Lisa and the foam at the top. You don't have to do Just all the like pour overs. Just like brew a good pot Just of coffee a, once a, a dollar for, for a decent cup of drip coffee. Anyway, we can, okay. uh, I'll have my own podcast about that so, at some point. <laughs> Just Jeff's about this one single issue. I'm going to be like that dude in Romania. Like I'm going to spend a year a plea for crusading coffee. that every every member of the uh, ABA has a coffee at least a anyway, go for it. So <laughs> What do you think so, about this local thing? Bleh. I know. I, yeah, I know. We talked, I think it was in Florida. The self-pub where, only. The, where it was a self-pub this only bookstore. This is way better than that. It is, except I, I think that if a lot... Okay, I don't know what the closest like big independent bookstore is to Longmont, Colorado. Uh, that is a thing that I should have Googled. But I know that most indies have a section of local authors or local interest. Mm. Um, the fountain does it here. My friend Josh Christie does it on the shelves at his, uh, at Sherman's books that he runs in Portland, Maine. Um, most of the New York stores have New York interest stuff. And I, so I am guessing, and it's just a guess that, um, and it says in the piece that this guy who owns the store just recently published his first book. And so I'm taking since they attribute the verb to him rather than just had his first book published, mm. that this is a self-published author with a Colorado-centric story. And it's maybe not so much that he's having a hard time finding bookstores that feature Colorado books and authors, but books having a hard time featuring having a hard time finding bookstores that feature self-published Colorado mm-hmm. books and authors. This is so hyper specific. Um, I just wonder like how, how much space does he have? How many books is he going to stock and how, how very many books would he have to sell in a month to like to pay the rent mm-hmm. and make this a worthwhile effort? This feels to me very much like a, um, I couldn't sell the thing that I wanted to sell, so I made a whole store to try to sell it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had sort of similar but different thinking about it, and that is, why would I go to this? Right, like, why is this not just coloradobooks.com or something? Right, um, well, you know, um, you know the Raven Bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas, mm-hmm. my hometown, and, well. and, and uh, a town you lived in for a while. They have uh, a really good Lawrence and Kansas history section of the store, you know, local authors, mm-hmm. like, and so if you're in the bookstore looking and you're picking up the new Stephen King or, you know, all the other books that people are interested in, right? you can find it there as well. And you don't have to make a special trip. Like, it seems to me the number of people, A, that would go to a bookstore, assuming, and you're right, if there's another one around, then you're doing a disservice because then you're not kind of service the community by stocking books a lot of people would be interested in. Mm-hmm. But then why would I go there? I don't know. It just seems very, Yeah, it's, it, it seems very weird. Like I would think that doing the Raven style, like you have a sort of a regular bookstore mm-hmm. with a healthy books by and about local yeah. Colorado and, stuff. Like, that's exactly what the fountain does here in Richmond. There's a big shelf of Virginia interest. And so mm-hmm. there's local authors and there's books about Virginia and Richmond history. And a lot of them are signed by the authors. And many of the books in that section of the store are self-published because a lot of local interest stuff is done through self-publishing these days. This seems to me like it should have just been an internet shop. Like he should have built, you know, Colorado interest books.com and made a place for other people who have written books about Colorado and other Colorado authors to submit and be listed there. And then maybe when you click on the title that you want, it, you know, either takes you through an easy checkout or transports no you to like, that, I mean, the, yeah, you're kind yeah. of right. Who's going to I think, I mean, people are more, I would think people are more likely to Google, like when I'm traveling, if I do want a, a book, yeah, I will like, you know, Google to find a book about the thing and then just order it. But I don't, nah, 
Yeah, I yeah, I don't I, know. Yeah, this is like... I understand the impetus to do this thing, especially if you have written a book that you want to sell and you're having a hard time doing it. I sort of get the like, well, I'll just start my own bookstore because I'm not the only person who has this problem. Mm. Um, but but I, it's bad. It's a bad. Jo- it's a bad idea to start a retail space when you have a seller's problem. Like yes. st- start with a, a buyer's problem and then sort of work backwards from there. I, I I think this is gonna have a tough time. I hope I'm wrong and it does great and that you know we found a new sort of model for bookstores where you can be hyper specific uh locally but boy that seems like a, that's it a seems tough it's road really to gonna be i think that's a big challenge but good luck to you yeah good luck to you um, <laughs> okay we got our next sponsor yeah you take who's taking me to the bridge back this oh week. it's scribbed what do you know oh what what's scribbed jeff do you want to know what scribbed yeah is? i've been wondering i've been hearing it about uh, hearing about the Scrib thing, t- tell me. About tell me, it. Jeff, do you have a smartphone or a tablet? I do. I have a smartphone and a tablet. Looking at well, it right now. You're so fancy. Yeah, I am. Scribd is a subscription book service that has an, it gives you unlimited access to a library of more than half a million ebooks, audiobooks, and comics. Mm. So you go to scribd.com. S-C-R-I-B-D.com slash book riot. You'll get a month for free. After that, it's $8.99 a month to read and listen all you want to books from major houses like HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, innovative small presses like McSweeney's Counterpoint and Tin House. They've got more than 30,000 audiobooks. I know that you're big into the audiobooks right now. I am. Big into audiobooks. I remember a recent David McCullough, like essentially a Jeff fanboy moment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know, audiobooks, again, there's so much time in your day. I'm telling you right now, you've got a lot to do. Uh, this is going to be your single serving podcast. It'll be like once a week, two minutes about a new way to listen to audio. That's it's a good point. You know, I hey, you joke about that. People were tweeting about my idea to listen uh, while watching sports. It's a good idea. It's a, it is good, a good idea. idea. It's great. Anyway, what are, so, so what do, so what are, what do we got picks? If you, what kind well, of stuff you, they got here? They have all kinds of stuff. Mm. You know, we talk about uh, Scribd as being great for finding new books to read, and it's great for that because Scribd has a bunch of curated lists that are made by their editors that group books by theme and topic and you know point of interest. So you can scroll through those. You can check out what they're recommending. Scribd also has a magical algorithm that pays attention to how you rate the books that you read. And it recommends based on what you've liked and what you haven't liked. So you're not going to be getting recommended a bunch of stuff that's similar to a book that you didn't enjoy. And this is my favorite. It makes it really easy to go on reading adventures. If you're doing the Read Harder Challenge and it is not too late to decide that you want to, or you're just thinking about expanding your literary horizons, it's really easy to do that in Scribd. You don't have to find a specific title and then pay for it and then worry that you're not going to like that book and you already spent the money. You just use your free month from scribd.com slash book riot or you're paying $8.99 for the month no matter what you read the book if you like it you keep going if you don't you can close it and pick something else and it costs you nothing it's a very low risk way to expand your horizons scribd has memoirs they have romance they have nonfiction. they have my favorite comic lumberjanes they have audiobooks they have everything. And at scribd.com slash book riot, you can see a list of 15 of our favorite titles that are available there. Oh, James Salter's A Sport mm-hmm. and a Pastime, which uh, apparently it's now my mission to make everyone read that book, <laughs> uh, is available on Scribd, and you can click your way to it right there. So if this sounds good to you, if you're curious, maybe you haven't tried reading on your phone yet. Maybe you've never tried an audiobook. Maybe you want to check out comics. You can do all of that through Scribd. Scribd.com slash book riot right now they'll set you up with a free month you can enjoy your 30 days of unlimited reading listening and comicsing everybody wins if you need more recommendations or you read something great on scribd or whatever we are happy to uh, be your guides so hit us up on twitter and let us know as well and thanks again to scribd for sponsoring this week I just one suggestion well two suggestions real quick for scribd i know a lot of people have mentioned to us that they've tried scribd and did so either explicitly or, or as a, you know, a motivating factor to try script to, to try Lumberjanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you, so if you've done volume one of Lumberjanes, which is on script, volume two doesn't come out until October 20th, I don't think. Um, you, can all, you might also try Runaways on script, which is also written by Noel Stevenson, who's the, the writer of Lumberjanes. So you can try that out yes. if you want to itch your um, Lumberjanes, uh, you want to scratch your Lumberjanes itch. Also, Clint, our friend and, and co-worker, Clint, 
um, said to mention this because he's listening to the audio book of Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison right now. And he says the narration is unbelievable. So if you haven't got into Invisible Man or if you have and you want to try an audio book, um, he highly recommends the audiobook version of Invisible Man. I don't do fiction on, on audio. I'd like fiction um, in words, but uh, I'm into nonfiction. One of their top 20 trending ebooks right now is The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, which I know we both liked. Oh, I loved. I loved it. Um, the, and, the, and the book, I think, that's certainly being talked about the most this summer in the Book Riot back channels is Between the World and Me by Taniasi Coates, which is available to listen to on Scrib too. So there's lots of picks you can jump in. It's it not going to be hard for you to find something that you're interested in here. If you want to try some romance, Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase is on Scribd. Uh, it's one that people have been recommending to me for as long as I've been experimenting with romance. I, I guess actually it's fair to say I am no longer experimenting with romance. Mm. I am a romance reader now. Um, but Lord of Scoundrels is really just funny and clever. The heroine was a delight to spend time with. The romance scenes were steamy, uh, but there's no like weird euphemisms for body parts, which is the thing I deeply appreciate about well-written romance that there's no like, I'm not even going to say them. I just can't. These these, these things are not appropriate uh, for airtime. But Loretta Chase, uh, that was great. It would, would be a really good introduction uh, to romance. There's, there's just so much good stuff here. Rob Lowe's Stories I Only Tell My Friends. Great memoir. Um, I listened to it on audio last year. You can read it on Scribd. So much good stuff. Speaking of romance. Oh, you're uh, just look at you. Just setting them up and knocking them down. Uh, Nielsen did their romance book buyer, did a romance book buyer report, um, which I guess they do every couple of years because so the, they're comparing to 2013 data. Um, they, they're they looking at who's reading romance, which is interesting. Let's see. Uh, have you looked at this? I have. Um, okay, I was going to do guesses. Of... What's, what's most interesting to you here? Let's see. I'm interested in that more men are reading romance. It's yeah. still relatively small, but it was but, a 25% but, increase. I mean, if you would, I think most people would think that literally almost zero men read romance, right? I mean, that's the right. common, I, I think, cliche. Yeah, but so, 15%, that means, yeah. you know, one in seven mm-hmm. romance readers are, are fellas. Yeah. In, for, in the first quarter of 2014, men accounted for 15% of romance books purchased mm-hmm. compared with 12% in 2013. So that's like a 3% shift, but that's actually 25% growth. Right. Yeah, um, right. That's really interesting. The demographics are interesting and maybe kind of um, surprising to me. The Nielsen data shows that romance buyers are more likely to be from the South and the Midwest, tend to be retired, and I identify as Christian, Hmm. which there's a huge breadth of uh, what romance can be, like how steamy or how clean it is. There are romances that like Mm -hmm. if it ends in a kiss, that's as hot as the book gets. Um, And we talk about like, I I think we're moving past it, but there's a kind of a stereotype that exists of romance readers as people who like are sort of sexually suppressed people reading bodice rippers. Um, And so it's interesting um, to think about it really being people from the South and the Midwest, primarily women, primarily older women um, who identify as Christian. I think that's surprising. I know so many young women in metropolitan, like young agnostic women in metropolitan cities who also love romance that I, mm-hmm. I'm interested in how these demographics are going to change, how hardcore uh, romance fans are for their buying and reading habits is really interesting too. Um, 6% of buyers purchase romance books more than once a week and 15% do so at least once a week. So 21% of romance readers buy at least once a week. Right. That, it's just a, that's a crazy number. I mean, we know, I mean, we know, we know mm-hmm. that romance people, you know, they buy lots of books and they support a lot of huge charge of the book and there uh, were, industry. When I was a bookseller, there were customers, multiple customers who would come in every week and pick up a basket and fill their basket with mm-hmm. romance novels. And then we'd see them again next Monday. Um, really avid readers. Yeah, this doesn't say buy one book. They say buy right. books once buy a week books, or more. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 25% of romance buyers read romance more than once a week and nearly half of them. Uh, let's see. So nearly half read romance at least once a week and 25% read romance more than once a week. Mm -hmm. So 75% together, I guess. Um, The younger buyers are not quite as devoted. They have different taste. Um, Romantic suspense is the most popular subgenre overall, but the younger readers are trending towards more erotic stories. I mean, what did you find interesting? I thought that the median age went down from 44 to 42. 
a mm-hmm. two-year drop, which is a significant drop yeah. uh, in, a, in a two-year period. Um, I guess one thing I'm wondering, I'm looking at the younger reader stats about how they're not quite as devoted. They like tend to like romantic suspense a little bit more. They like more erotic stories, which I, I guess jives with what my sort of sense of what younger romance readers are reading. I'm wondering as, you know, it sounds like it sounds like one story here is that it's trickling down to younger readers that read a little bit more of everything. I'm wondering if a future history of romance will be that it becomes more of a of someone's larger reading diet rather mm-hmm. than mostly the domain of people who read romance exclusively exclusively or or major you know mm-hmm. majorly um because we also know and i again i don't know that like i don't think they say here what percent of these buyers say they read romance exclusively or more than 50% or something um like that but my sense is that romance has some real hardcore, that's like, that's all they read, or as a yeah. percentage, it's a huge percentage of what they read, maybe because they just read so many romance books that even if you throw in 20 nonfiction titles or whatever, it just gets worse by there. But I'm just wondering as if romance becomes a more accepted part of your average reader's reading diet, then you'll have different shifts in um, what the buyer's ages are, how much they read, and whether or not that makes romance more or less lucrative mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a genre. I just think that's very interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. I think there's a bunch of variables at play. And one of them is that romance is becoming you know, more acceptable and more, a, more mainstream, a more acceptable mainstream mm-hmm. reading habit. Like uh, some of the stereotypes are being busted. And I think that's very much for the good. Culturally, we're also having all kinds of conversations about sexuality. And uh, it's more acceptable, I think, to be interested in that and to be reading about it just in the culture. It's more in the water. Uh, kids today are growing up on the Internet. So these readers under 30 are exposed to the kinds of ideas and that um, that romance gets at, especially if they're the ones who are interested in reading more erotic stories. So you sort of have like the power of the internet plus the power of e-reading. Like mm-hmm. 60% of romance ebook readers say they buy their titles from Amazon and Amazon is great at recommending things to uh, to people who have already bought yeah. Uh, who have already bought ebooks. They have a ton of uh, self-published romance novels. I think romance readers probably read more uh, self-published titles than readers of other genres, but that's just a guess. Um, yeah, there's... I mean, I think all... I, my sense is that genre, science fiction, fantasy, mystery, all of the genres have pretty good self-published mm-hmm. ecosystems, but I, I don't have a sense of the, you yeah, know, trying to rank a, them a, one or the other. Yeah, a bunch of really interesting things sort of all coming together, making romance more visible. It's always been big, um, but it's much more visible now. Romance, passionate romance fans are talking about it and forming communities, and it's cool to see younger readers adopting it early. I wish that I had gotten over my like snobbery about romance so much earlier in my reading life because it's become such a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting and fun to have numbers. Oh yeah, I love I, this especially. Like I, that's that's one um, where I feel like I'm fighting my own cultural messages about who romance readers are every day, and so having some numbers about yeah. them are especially good because I, I think 42 as the median age, like that's not seems your grandma. Low to yeah. me. Like mm-hmm. I guess I'm older now <laughs> too <laughs> than, than I once was. Um, but anyway, that's that's you know someone's only five or six yeah. years uh, older than me. There's an interesting graph in the piece. Um, they asked romance readers what their most influential review sources were basically where are you getting oh, yeah. recommendations about what to read i'm always interested in these um it looks like the under 30 crowd um said that amazon ratings were their biggest source then book bloggers then uh, then they said i am not influenced by review sources which i think if you are aware of review sources and they like come across your dashboard ever you have to believe that that influences you even if you're oh, not yeah, it's like conscious. people say i'm not i don't get in Right. This is like people being like, but I don't book cover book covers make no difference to me. Like you want to think that. And yet our brains just have this way of picking up information that enters through our eyeballs Um, in store employee recommendations and newspaper magazine reviews. I guess it's not terribly surprising that that's pretty low because very few, at least big newspapers and magazines cover romance in a meaningful Mm -hmm. way. Book bloggers are doing it a lot. Amazon ratings. This is really high um, for for paying attention 
to how things are doing. It's interesting that like uh, Goodreads wasn't one of the options here. Uh. Like if you're a, an avid romance reader and you're using Goodreads and that's your source of reviews, did they slot it into other or like, yeah, get- Goodreads like, seems like a big enough deal that it's other is maybe yeah. it's Amazon reviews since it's owned by Amazon. Maybe now. so. That's interesting. Yeah, could be, but it, that's not mentioned at all is, is probably a mistake of some kind. Uh, speaking yeah. of romance, um, <laughs> The I don't the godmother of romance is that fair to call Jane Austen oh, I don't know I was like wait what's the next story <laughs> uh, is there's a new I, I know you're going to be surprised to hear that someone's going out on a limb and trying a movie version of something based on Jane Austen I know I, this this is uncharted territory for Hollywood to make something out of Austen um, really really going out on a limb but this one is a little bit different than your other uh, sixteen adaptations of Pride and Prejudice is. It's going to be Austin's life dramatized. Oh, wait, someone's already done that. Becoming Jane, starring Anne Hathaway. So good. It's but so good. You like that movie? I thought it was cute. I don't re- I don't remember it very well at all. So I... I oh, hold reaction? on. No, wait. I'm thinking about... I'm not thinking about that movie. Yeah. What am, what am I... I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm thinking about the lady version of... Um, Dead Poets Society with Julia oh, Roberts. Oh, Mona Lisa's Smile. Yes, no. which I love, and I'm not sorry. Okay, I didn't ask you to be sorry. I uh, have no feelings about <laughs> Becoming Jane. <laughs> uh, I don't remember being particularly good myself. But anyway, so this is based uh, on a novel by Carolyn Murray, which makes gives Jane herself a romantic comedy storyline, no. and then it's intercut with um, the romances in Austen's work itself. So I guess you'll get a scene from her life that is related to a scene in like Emma or something like that. It's kind of a Shakespearean love, not in terms of um, structure, but in influence, like something happening in mm-hmm. Will Shakespeare's life, you know, influenced what's going on in Romeo and Juliet. And so I, I don't know that it's that complicated. This one, I think, is a little more historically based than Shakespeare one, since we basically know nothing about Shakespeare. That would make sense. Um, the spoiler, though, is that Austin ends up alone. I, can, can, can you give a, hit, a biographical point? Is that a spoiler? To say no. that Austin doesn't get married or anything like that? So but I'm not sure how the book handles that. That's going to be a little tricky. Yeah, if they're fictionalizing, though, like, what if, what if Jane Austen ends up married at the end of this movie? <laughs> or it's like a secret, like, conspiracy theory thing. Um, Somebody's just writing headcanon about Jane Austen's yeah, secret yeah, marriage. Yeah, 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 yeah. The novel just came out um, in July. I haven't heard anything about it before this. If you've read Jane by the Sea, please let us know oh, yeah. how it ends. I would like to, I would like to, like to know about that. But um, a romantic comedy? I don't know. I'm not <laughs> I sure. I don't know. I think I'm maybe in the... I'm getting the sense from our back channels at Book Riot that I might be in the minority of readers, like, I just don't really care about author biopics Mm. and I care even less about fictionalized versions of authors. Yeah, me too. Couldn't care less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Austin. I'm a huge Austin fan. So I'm I'm inclined to like Austin things. I even like all the, I mean, I'll I'll watch any new Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Like if it looks halfway decent, I am in to watch it. Will you really? Yeah, I think I'm trying to think if there's something I haven't. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any of them. Well, you've seen Bridget Jones' Diary. Surely you've seen Well, that. yeah, that's true. Oh, and if you can count Emma, if you can count Clueless as an Emma adaptation. Well, yeah, I but mean like, loosely, but yeah. But Have like you seen the, the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice? No, I haven't seen any of the Pride yeah. and Prejudice. That one's, that one's, well, you know, the, the Colin Firth BBC miniseries is a classic yeah. one. Um, I'm, I'm feeling like I should turn in my Booktornet card for having no, never watched no, Pride no. and Prejudice. I mean, you'll get a little notch in it just so we know you, um, but you don't have to turn it in. <laughs> So that one's coming out, and also, this, so this is this seems to me like sort of a middling idea, le- adaptation idea. Let's go to the bad idea, uh, adaptation idea of the week, um, and this is uh, rumor. News came out this week that uh, Warner Brothers is going to turn Dante's Inferno no. into a movie. No, and they're going to focus on the romance part. <laughs> Because you might remember the romance from Dante's Inferno of yes, uh, Virgil, key, uh, Dante saying Beatrice's name once. The key thing that I took away from <laughs> Dante's Inferno was how romantic it is. Maybe it's going to be a Virgil Dante romance, like Slash. Like maybe it'll be Virgil and Dante. I am here for your I Virgil would, Dante I will go for sure if Virgil and Dante are holding hands um, while they're looking at the upside down Pope's burning. Um, 
But, That's uh, my favorite mental image from the Inferno. <laughs> the people a, upside down in the baptismal fonts. The, uh, the trees that are people, that's always a good one. Um, people just barfing forever, also an excellent <laughs> one. Warner Brothers also very excited about the franchise potential oh my God. for Purgatorio and Paradiso. Well, of course. Um, have you, did you have to do the Paradiso, Purgatorio and Paradiso? No, I read the Inferno in AP English senior year of high school. And then I had to read it the semester after that, my first semester mm. in college. Um, well, let me just say, never... there's a reason most of us didn't have to read the follow-ups to the Inferno because they are a slog to get through. Uh, all the different various you know, angels and like people from you know Renaissance Italy's political scene. No one cares about. If, it is rough. If it there has rough. to be a Dante Inferno adaptation movie, here is what I want. I mm-hmm. want Ken Burns to pretend that hell is a real place we can visit. And oh, I want like a 45 hour Ken Burns documentary of the journey through Dante's hell. Or like a cultural history of the idea of hell. I'd watch that. Oh, and Dan Brown could oh, come yeah. on and talk about Inferno. Yeah. Um, there is a full, this is when I used to teach um, Lit Hum at Columbia, I did a, a movie montage at the end of the year where I did clips from movies based on the books we read. And I did find uh, an adaptation of the Inferno that's all paper cutouts. The whole, it's a feature length film uh, reenacting. Uh, Dermot Mulroney is the voice of Dante. I'm not <laughs> kidding about this. You can look it up. Uh, and it's all, and James Cromwell's Virgil. And it's all paper cutouts. It is weird. What is it's this It's amazing. Life? Do you have to get uh, high before you watch it? <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it because it is trippy enough on it by itself. But it is it is rough. Like I think the Inferno. Again, I'm usually in the camp of most things you can pick up and read on yourself and enjoy most of the time. Inferno, at least read the introduction. It is kind of rough on its own. I think you need like a map of the circles of hell and a bunch of yeah. Notes well, most to get of, most editions Inferno. come with that to right. some degree. But, oh, oh boy, man. It's, okay, it's, uh, I got two little small cool yeah, things before we do our last sponsor yeah, yeah. and new books. Um, tribute to author type stuff that you can participate in, which I think is always cool. Um, little Brown is celebrating the 20th anniversary of the publication of Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace with a cover design contest. So we'll put a link in the show notes. But if you loved Infinite Jest and you want to design a cover for the 20th anniversary edition, you can submit your design and one grand prize winner will get a thousand dollars and the opportunity for your cover to be used as the front cover of the 20th anniversary edition. Simon and Schuster did this for um, Fahrenheit 451 mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and it was really cool. Um, they and they blogged a whole bunch of the submissions. I'm hoping that we'll get to see that. Um, I have not yet taken the Infinite Jest challenge, but I understand that the people who have often really love the book and perhaps you want to flex your creative muscles. Um, similarly for beloved books and authors, our friends at Litographs, which is the company you've probably seen, they take the whole text of a book and turn the text into a design for a t-shirt or a poster. They're doing a tribute to Maya Angelou, so you can go to the link that will drop into the show notes. And if you have uh, memories or something to say about what Maya Angelou's work meant to you, you can submit it to them and then they're going to take all of the text of all of those tributes and put it together to make a poster in memory of Maya Angelou and her mm. work. Um, I think they got like 400 of them submitted on the first day, wow. which is rad. And I'm glad that that many people love Maya Angelou. Um, I know some of you have memories of her to share, so you can do that as well. And here's my segue. I'm pretty proud of this. Let's do it. One of my favorite Maya Angelou poems is And Still I Rise. And our last sponsor this week is Everybody Rise by oh, Stephanie look Clifford. look at that. <laughs> I'll just sit here and await my applause. I hope everyone takes a moment to pause the podcast and just marvel <laughs> just at that, you know. All right, now do the read. Now I'm ready. And it's time to thank our next sponsor. This week's show is also brought to you by Macmillan Audio. They're highlighting Everybody Rise, which is a new buzzed about audiobook by New York Times writer Stephanie Clifford. It's narrated by Katherine Kelgren, who is an acclaimed narrator, and she reads this funny, tense, masterful debut about 26-year-old Evelyn Began, who's just trying to find her place among her privileged peers in Manhattan. This is the perfect kind of book to listen to at the end of summer. It has timeless themes themes about money, ambition, family, friendship, and the need to belong. For more information about Everybody Rise, you can go to macmillanaudio.com slash everybody rise. 
get the info, hear an excerpt. Maybe you'll decide this is the perfect audiobook for you for your last road trip of summer, for just running those back to school errands, you know, whatever. We talk all the time on this show about how great audiobooks are for filling in the open slots uh, in our days, and Everybody Rise is a great candidate for that. So again, Macmillan, M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N, audio.com slash Everybody Rise to hear an excerpt of Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford. Thanks again to Macmillan Audio for sponsoring this week. Cool. Tell me about new books. What do we got? This new book is so far in our collective wheelhouse Mm. that it should probably just get the Jeff Becca Book Riot Podcast Wheelhouse Award. Uh, It's called I Was a Revolutionary. It's a collection of short stories by Andrew Malin Millward. He grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. All of the stories in this collection are connected to Lawrence and to radical Kansans in some way. But you don't need to be from Kansas or know anything about Kansas to enjoy the collection. Um, It's just utterly fascinating. Mm. Uh, The stories range from set during the Civil War with Quantrill's raid when a bunch of Confederate, uh, they were like, they weren't even affiliated with the Confederate Army, but they wanted to be um, raided Lawrence and killed a bunch of the men and boys in an effort to get the Confederate Army to pay attention to them. There are stories set in the relatively present day about a gay couple living in Lawrence where one of them is a doctor at an abortion clinic. Uh, There's a story about uh, a very eccentric former politician in the early 1900s who um, finishes his political career and then builds a sculpture out of concrete of the Garden of Eden at his house. Mm. Did you ever hear about this? Oh, yes, I've been there. You did? Okay. Oh, yeah. I had not really heard of most any of these things like in Kansas history units in mm. school. This, But the collection is just, it's great. Every piece is totally fascinating. They're built on, you know, real people from real pieces of history um, from Civil War to the present that all just happen to be linked by some connection to Lawrence or to, to Kansas in some way. It's really great. Um, Kansas has a, it's got crazy in its DNA. Um Settled really mostly does. by Massachusetts abolitionists um, coming to vote, you know, to, to be to vote that Kansas would be a free state rather than a slave state. Um, and then, you know, one of the people that rolled along with him is John Brown, uh, mm-hmm. who's got, uh, well, more than a, little, a zealot for sure. And there's a little bit there's a little bit of that in the Kansas DNA. Now, maybe some other Midwestern state has it, too. But I, it feels to me that like there's a little bit of like. I don't know, like that New England radicalism that mm-hmm. got transmogrified by the prairie into something else. Like there's always a bunch of counties in Western Kansas that want to secede from the state. You know, the, you know, there's all kinds of, it's not all left wing stuff. It can be right wing zealotry as well, but um, prone to wackiness, the Kansas yes. as a whole are more in than people think. In a way that like people don't really know about. Kansas has yeah, this reputation, yeah, yeah. this sort of cultural reputation and Andrew Malin Wil- Millward pulls that apart with a bunch of really interesting stories. I loved this collection. I was sort of like, oh, Civil War, I don't know if I'm going to be into it Mm -hmm. or not, but I had heard a lot of great things. The writing is really terrific, and the book is just excellent, whether you share our Kansas connections and love or not. Um, Also out this week is The Girl from the Garden by Parnas Furutan. I'm about halfway through this right now, and it's um, it's really interesting. It's about a family of um, Persian Jews in early 20th century Iran. Uh, The husband in the family wants an heir, uh, a male heir. That's all he wants. The family is very wealthy. They are not succeeding. His wife is not succeeding in giving him a son. And the man becomes desperate um, and makes a decision that pulls their family apart, um, related to how he's going to get an heir to pass their family's uh, wealth down to. There are some uh, pieces of the story set in contemporary Los Angeles as well. So you bounce back and forth between California and early 20th century Iran. It's a debut novel. Um, I feel like Every week on all the books, Liberty and I talk about how great this year has been for debut novels. It's like, and every week there's another example of it. Um, and this week it's The Girl from the Garden by Parnas Furutan. So we'll put both of these in the show notes for y'all to check out. And those are new books. And that's our show. That is our show. And if you want to come hang out with us at Book Riot Live yeah. in November on the 7th and 8th, you can do that. We would love for you to do it. All the details are at bookriotlive.com. We have amazing programming, games, contests, Margaret Atwood, panels, parties, you name it. It's going to be two days of book nerd heaven, and you can save 20 bucks on your registration by using the code wheelhouse, all one word, when you check out. The live show. 
recording of this show, live recording on other podcasts, which include Dear Book Nerd with Rita Mead. It's an advice, love, uh, life, love, and literature show. Uh, Reading Lives, which I do, which is interviews with interesting people about their lives and books. Your new show, All the Books, you host with Liberty, a weekly mm-hmm. podcast about what the most interesting new releases. Basically, the last section of this show, just with more interesting um, second guest and more time. And, to yeah, do and it. Liberty, who's and Liberty, a thousand times better at this than I am. Then, and then 10,000 times better than I. And then um, Amanda's new show, Get Booked, which is a recommendation show, taking listener and reader recommendation requests. Episode zero is up now. The preview, you're on there with her for a few minutes talking about what the show is going to be like. You can start sending recommendation requests that Amanda um, can consider for the show at getbooked at uh, bookriot.com. Yeah. By the time you're listening to this, the sample episode is going to be in this feed. Oh, in this feed. Okay, great. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. So if you if you notice that the next episode after this one um, or around it will be Get Booked Episode Zero, you can take a listen there as well. But, uh, you know, up and going. And the first full episode of that show, I believe, will be out September 10th. Also, we have a comics podcast. Um, our sister site hosts call, uh, called O Comics that is uh, a weekly show about different issues, themes, reviews. They do a monthly book club pick. They talk about, um, so if you're into comics or getting into comics, especially, I think you'll be interested in that show. It's O-Comics. You go to panels.net and at the top, you can see the O-Comics link or just search for O-Comics in your, uh, your podcast uh, client of choice. That's our show. As always, you can find uh, show notes to this and all the other episodes at bookriot.com slash podcast. You can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. Thanks so much to our three sponsors this week. As always, Read Harder Book Groups, September 19th and 20th. There'll be a link in the show notes. You can also find it on our Facebook page um, under events. You can take a look for it there. We got a lot. There's a lot. You know, so many things. Slow August, but there's a lot coming. Man, there's a lot coming. It's going to be a good fall. All right, Rebecca, I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.